Here at The Regenerative Journey, we know that good health is related to good food and good practices, but understand that sometimes the right food choices are quite hard to put into place. But our good buddy, Cindy O'Meara at the Nutrition Academy is helping people break old habits to create a much healthier lifestyle. So in support of what she's doing, we're offering a $100 discount to all our listeners. Simply enroll in their functional nutrition course and enter the coupon CHARLIE100, that's CHARLIE100, the Nutrition Academy, say goodbye to old food habits and hello to a much healthier, happier life. I don't know any family that doesn't have someone that they love within the family or within their their inner circle that struggles at some time in life with mental health. So that's one of my big bugbears and that leads to homelessness. Um, And, of course, um, um, uh, women in violent relationships. I mean, these are things, all these things. Now, this is going to sound really naive, But so many of these things can be fixed by food. That was Maggie Beer, and you're listening to The Regenerative Journey. We acknowledge the traditional custodians of country throughout Australia and internationally and their continuing connection to country, culture, community, land, sea and sky. And we pay our respects to elders past, present and emerging. G'day, I'm your host Charlie Arnott, an 8th generational Australian regenerative farmer and in this podcast series I'll be diving deep and exploring my guests' unique perspectives on the world so you can apply their experience and knowledge to cultivate your own transition to a more regenerative way of life. Welcome to The Regenerative Journey with your host Charlie Arnott. Don't forget our spring Intro to Biodynamics workshops are coming up fast. We are at Hanamino in Borowa in New South Wales on the 7th and 8th of October, then travel to Victoria in mid-October, Tasmania in late October, with our last workshop for the year in the beautiful Margaret River in WA during late November. All are welcome, urban gardeners, broadacre farmers, graziers, viticulturists alike. No previous experience required as Hamish and Charlie cover it all. For more details, check out our website www.charliearnett.com.au and follow the events link. G'day, this week's episode is with the one and only Maggie Beer. I was um, honoured to be sitting in her music room at her um, her house, not a farm, um, but her, her house where she resides with her husband Cole um, in the Barossa. Her farm's in the Barossa as well, not too far from here. But we're sitting here overlooking pomegranate hedges, um, quince, uh, all sorts of wonderful citrus, and it's an amazing spot. And we chatted about Maggie's, well, you know, as we do, early life, her inspiration, her mentors, um, what it is for her to be living in the Barossa in this beautiful part of the world. And... Um, her, her, uh, the Maggie Beer Foundation and the, the, the support she's giving the, um, uh, the older Australians, uh, in, uh, in, in terms of their food and their health and so many other wonderful things. She is as busy a person as you'll ever meet. And, uh, I was so honored to be, uh, to be sitting with Maggie for an hour. And I hope you enjoy this conversation with Maggie Beer as much as I did. Maggie Beer. Welcome to the Regenerative Journey, and welcome to your um, music room. <laughs> That's are we right. in your music room? We are. We are. It's a great room for singing in. 
I'm, it's quite. It's quite. It's got a bit of ambiance about it. Yes. Well, it's a tall timber ceiling, and the, and the piano goes well here. And I have a choir, and every Wednesday night, tonight, 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 singing. Though. As if you don't have enough on already. <laughs> oh well, the singing gives me, <laughs> gives me the most amazing amount of energy, and yeah. no matter how tired I am. Colin sometimes says uh, he envies me. I can be so dead tired and an hour and a half, two hours singing, and I come in bouncing. Gives you, gives you a lift. Yes. yes. It's, a, it's obviously a local little choir. Oh, well, it's a pretty serious choir in terms of um, our director of the choir, Charmaine Jones. was. Um, she used to be the uh, senior jazz teacher at the conservatorium. She has a professional choir herself comes from the other side of Adelaide. Wow. Some people come from Clare. There's just 17 of us. When I say serious, what I mean is we really work and the joy is just immense. Fantastic. And yeah. what, how, how did that start? We, we'd just gone straight to somewhere I didn't even know we were going to go, <laughs> but this is good. How did that sort of, what, has music played a big part in your life? Well, music played, played a huge amount in my life. My father and all his, um, his brothers and sisters were were had beautiful voices, um, but I never sang because my mum, my beautiful mum, had the worst voice in the world. <laughs> and so my brothers and I kind of, you know, took mum's part. But here in the valley when we had parties, um, we always finished up the girls one end and the boys the other end, the girls would sing. And it was just before my 60th birthday. And I said, I'm sick of this. Um, I- I'm going to find a teacher and we're going to, all sing together, mm. and it's been going since then, so 16 years. But Boys and girls? No, it's all girls, yeah. but sometimes we sing, not often enough, but sometimes we sing with the boys' choir mm. in the valley, and that's fantastic. But uh, it's fantastic for the, you know, the addition of the, the bass and the tenor and the, oh. <laughs> I'll have to sneak in one day and just listen. I can probably hear it from the other side of the valley. <laughs> no, not really, but Matt came one night, uh, Matt and Sarah, and, and um, yes, Matt Moran. Yes, so uh, I just... mutual friend. Let's give him a plug. So um, <laughs> Matt was Matt Moran was very kind, very kind enough to um, introduce me to Maggie. I did meet you really briefly at the um, Delicious Awards a couple of years ago. You were running out the door and everyone was trying to grab you for a photo op and I, I was one of them. Anyway, um, so big shout out to Matt um, and for his introduction and for, for and I have to say, I introduced, um, I introduced, I interviewed Matt um, oh, last year in one of our episodes. <laughs> lovely, lovely guy. He's up in uh, Rocky at the moment doing Beef Australia. Yes, doing yes. Doing some stuff up there. Yeah. And you did a show with him. The Great Australian Bake Off. Yes. He said he misses, he says, he send us, said good day and he misses you and he loves you. <laughs> Matt, Matt's a big sweetheart. You know, he's so gruff on the outside and <laughs> so soft inside. Isn't he? It doesn't take long to scratch the surface, though, does it? Um, Maggie, again, thank you for your time. You, we're in the middle of, um, I'm not sure where we are in terms of the middle of the end of the beginning of um, Tasting Australia here in South Australia. You're being pulled from pillar to post, I'm sure, to, to, to do all sorts of things. So I very much appreciate the, the hour we have with you this morning. And I've sort of set up in your music room, we're looking out at the Barossa, some part of the Barossa. We're sort of on the more the eastern side, aren't we, from, from my 
sort of orientation? Well, I'll take Is your word wrong? for it because I, <laughs> I'm legendary <laughs> about my lack of direction, but yes, yes well, we're I think, there. I think we are, and we're looking at some um, olives. We've got a beautiful um, pomegranate hedge. We've yeah. just driven, I just drove past a field. I've never seen a bigger um, orchard of, of quins. Of yes, yes. Well, we're picking, <clears throat> we're picking today and we've got all these windfalls as well. So that, well, picking started yesterday for the quince harvest, so it'll be going on all week. Because you're pretty well known for your quinces, aren't you? Yes. You do yes. a bit with quince. We do a bit with quince. Um, uh, I I love the quince and we planted our first quince orchard, oh, 35 years ago. Yes. Yeah. No, no, no. At the farm. At the farm. Um, probably even longer. Gosh, years come into each other. But we've been here in the cottage 36 years mm. and um, planted the quince, six different varieties here to see which is the best. Um, for various things, but doesn't always work. I have to say, it's one of my favourite fruit, and really, m- oh, totally. My mum, um, she's we've got quince medlar. Have you got medlars? Yes, we've got medlars. Two medlars. Oh. Do you blend them? Yes. <laughs> they're, well, they're still on the on the, on the fruit. Uh, yes, they're on the fruit, still on, on the, the tree. Fruit, the moment, the moment, yeah. And then often we get big um, bread. Um, Bread rack, you know the plastic yes. bread things that probably yeah. are the, always belong to prop, belong to um, the else. property of fielders or someone. Anyway, so we pop them on the um, uh, on the on the back veranda or in the we've got a sort of a flower room office yeah. thing. Um, and every third year, I remember they're there, and I then <laughs> and I make some. Um, the last time I made a beautiful. Um, it was supposed to be like a jelly, but it turned into a syrup. Oh yes, it well, was insane. Yeah, no, it's it's a fantastic, fantastic flavour. It's it's like nothing else. No. It's a bit like, God, gosh, what would you put it like? Asparagus. Yeah, there's a, yeah. there's something there that does not say fruit. <laughs> <laughs> it is, um, and you don't see them around. We've we've got sort of probably um, half a dozen trees, and. Um, I think one thing I've noticed, Maggie, is I don't know. We're off on another tangent, but that's cool. Um, nets. I don't see any nets on your fruit. Is that because there's no birds to eat them? Or oh, what do you do? No, or do you no. have to well, do some took, spooky wawa to keep them away? I wish we had spooky wawa, but we we don't. Um, but we took the nets off three days ago. But we only put the oh. nets on um, pretty close to um, harvest, say two weeks before harvest. Okay. And the nets came off on Friday, but um, th- the thing is. The, the nets, of course, also inhibit um, birds can get caught in them, and so mm. you you have to be careful. But we have an orchard at the farm, and birds are, you know, if we don't cover our apricots, we oh. don't have a crop. So the birds aren't quite as bad here, even though we've got lots of gum trees. But yeah. we're uh, my family and I were in Italy a couple of years ago, and we. Um, Noticed there were no nets and there were hardly any birds and everywhere, oh. everywhere there was fruit. Like you just help yourself. But you know no why? Because they eat them. They because eat the birds, yeah, right? they they shoot, oh. they shoot. And if you're in the hills in Italy, um, you hear the guns going off all pop, the time, pop. and yeah. there's not a bird to be seen because. <laughs> <laughs> That's more fun than knitting trees, I guess, isn't it? <laughs> well, it depends on your point of view. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's true. How rude. Um, so where are we now? Quinces. Um, so, so Maggie, um, the, the point of being here at your – and thank you again for being in your, your home um, – is to you know, be somewhat inspired um, uh, and be in your sort of happy place. Yes. So which this is amazingly happy um, – uh, 
part of the world. You know, the Brossa itself. Can we can we can we talk about you know why what's why is what's it important? Why is it important for you to be here? Or what is special about this place? Well, I was I was um, uh, I grew up in Sydney <coughs> in the western suburbs of Sydney, where you didn't know your neighbours, where it was pretty bland and it's much more interesting now um, Bankstown and the Kemba and Greenacre so and and I traveled a great deal but when Colin and I came to live in the Barossa and he his forebears came here in 1848 so from Silesia so he's allowed to be a local right where's Silesia Silesia well that's where all the um the people came um it, well, it's Poland now, but it was Germany. Oh, okay. um, and that's, they're the people, along with the English, who settled the valley. The English settled Angerston, etc. But uh, when we came here, I felt connected straight away. And uh, we came here 48 years ago. Um, and it was just as if it was meant to be. And I don't know whether it was anything to do with, uh, my maiden name is Ackerman. Mm. Um, so the German influence, but my German influence went back, you know, generations, but somehow it's there. I, I just reveled in being, being here, learning from people, learning the rhythm of the seasons and living the rhythm of the seasons, something I'd never taken any notice of in Sydney, even though I grew up in a fantastic food household. My father was obsessive about food and, and we, we had every bit of the animal. We, you know, all the things that uh, were part of me. And then I came here and understood seasons. So it is a community. It's beautiful. I, it's a Mediterranean climate. I can grow everything that I want to um, cook with, everything I want to eat. I'm connected. Yeah. It's an amazing. Uh, last time I was here, Maggie, was 30 years ago. Um, in not quite 30, in a old beaten up Kingswood station wagon with a couple of mates, and we'd driven down from Broome. We'd been pearl diving wow. for the year up there with the Paspalis, and um, we had a, a car that um, uh, we had just to drive around Broome just when we mm-hmm. came back for, off the boats and for a couple of days. So we got to the end of the year, went, oh, well, let's just drive this baby home. And we did all the way down the WA, across the Nullarbor, a couple of days here. Um, it was it was fantastic, and it was and it was really really fond couple of days we had here. What I can remember of it thirty years ago, and you know, wine growing part of the world, and we were nineteen, wherever we were. <laughs> but um, it struck me as as beautiful place, and and have been here since Thursday, and I'm just blown away with the generosity and the hospitality and yeah. the you know the sort of um, lack of it's lack of competition or something. Yeah, what is it? Well, it's really interesting you say that. There's there's a realness about here. The hospitality is within, and it's given naturally, um, and we all believe in each other, and so um, we we're just all part of a whole, and it's a fantastic way. When I'm when I'm overseas, you know, if I could be in London doing something when we used to be, mm. and for the for the industry. There'd be all the what would seem to be competitors in the one room, but they were all Barossa first, uh, and it's always been so. It's mm. it's fantastic, fantastic aura to sort of live in. It's and it's somewhat contagious too. I imagine that um, whilst it does take three, be three generations to be a local, so you <laughs> so you're not a local yet, are you? No. Well, I, I think I'm allowed <laughs> to be a local now. <laughs> Do the Barossanese call you a local? 
I, I hope so. I think they do. Yes, you put I, you've helped put Bryce on the map. <laughs> I know. I know they do. I'm. I'm. I'm allowed. I was allowed in quite early, actually, which is interesting. <laughs> what, what, what sort of what credentials did you have to have to get in? Well, it, it, it's funny. Um, I I um, ran for council when my girls were just two and four. I don't know what what drove me to do that, <laughs> but um, I got elected in. Um, unopposed uh, yeah. and um, I used to sit in council meetings um, peeling pickled quail eggs while <laughs> they were the days. <laughs> I, I could never just sit still. I always had to be doing something but I was accepted very readily um, because I came here and fell in love with it, fell in love with the whole concept. The first month we were here, it was the Vintage Festival and and that whole sense of celebration around food and, yeah, so it just happened. And Colin, you came here because Colin's um, family was from here? Was that- from, from near here. Near from here, yeah. a little town on the plains called Malala yep. that no one knows about unless um, they're into racing. Mm-hmm. Uh, but his forebears um, were buried here in, in the Barossa, um, 1840. They came out on the Alfred so he sort of has a real, a real toehold. Toehold, yeah. Yes. Yeah. And so, um, was the intention when you moved to the Brossa to, you know, grow food, um, cook, and sort of you know be, encourage others to do so, or was it no. sort of like I'm just going to go and see what happens? <laughs> no, but it was Colin's vision. We were we were living in Sydney, and I had very high pressure jobs, and and um, I used to get these. Terrible migraines. Sorry, what were you doing in Sydney? Huh? Oh, oh, well, I was the citizenship clerk um, for the American Consul General, so they put me through citizenship law, and then um, I managed the women's college at Sydney Uni, um, uh, the the food in the house. So, and I loved my jobs, but they were so high pressure. And on Friday night, I'd get a migraine until Monday morning. Uh, and Colin, Colin was working in computers for Price Waterhouse and and um, other companies and he hated Sydney um, and so he it was his vision to farm pheasants because he'd done his commercial pilot's licence in New Zealand, couldn't get a job in the industry because it was 1969 when there was a real slump, no one was taking anyone on. And um, so this vision of his to farm pheasants seemed absolutely a great, great idea. I was going to do viticulture. Uh, no, sorry, analogy. I was going to do. Um, I was going to go to Roseworthy. I thought because I've got a palate, and so I I was going to become a winemaker. Um, that was that was the thought behind us coming. He was going to farm, and as it turned out, um, I didn't do. I, I didn't have science, so I didn't go into analogy, and it just life overtook us in farming having children and um, uh, the only reason I started to cook commercially inverted commas mm. is that Cole won a Churchill Fellowship and we went um, uh, to Europe and saw exactly what we wanted to do on the border of Scotland which was a farm shop where on a turkey farm where they sold everything including the feathers uh, and so we came back um, and built the well sold our house um built the farm shop on the property that we had and um, 
opened the doors. And of course, I always cooked. I've never been taught, but I was brought up in this household of beautiful food and uh, I just cooked everything we grew. And so the farm shop, within a year, morphed into a restaurant. I mean, outrageous. <laughs> we had no experience. And uh, so that's, that's how it all happened, just using our produce and our neighbours. Um, and it just... It just... Did. Went from there. Well, that was my next question, Maggie. Was was there a plan? No. <laughs> <laughs> there's there's never been a plan, <laughs> and we were both risk takers. Both our families were small business people, and um, uh, when you well, if you think about the fact that we married sixteen weeks after we met fifty one years ago. <laughs> Good for you. <laughs> so that's risk taking, and that risk taking has been every part of the way. Mm. But we always were just, I was the driven one, Colin was the sensible one and practical one and also the head for figures. It's a good combo. Yeah. So. And um, was, um, I forgot my next question there now, it's terrible. Um, when did the, when, I mean, because you were, I guess, um, and I'm sort of no, no expert in, in well, I love my food and, and I'm sort of not necessarily haven't been in the food, food industry for my whole life. Well, apart from growing it, I guess. Yeah. But when was I mean? Because I'm fascinated with the quince thing. Because that was that's when yeah. I first saw your name on a on a on a jar in a shop, and I went, yeah. "Oh, this is cool." And I knew because and the relationship was mum was growing them in the garden, and I'd never seen them anywhere else. And I said, "Oh, this is Lady Down in South Australia growing quince." What? Why the fascination? I mean, I guess there's yeah. there's citrus and there's pomegranate and there's everything else, but was was quince a particular love? Yeah, absolutely. And when we first came to the valley. Um, I got a job because, you know, there was no money coming in. I got a job as a real estate agent. I mean, the things that you do. <laughs> but I, I'd been looking at properties and I used to get the bus over from Sydney mm. to go and see a property. Um, uh, so the agent offered me a job and I took it and um, uh, for oh, a year and a half, I guess. And the thing about that was every farmhouse I ever saw when I was showing someone a property, even if it was ramshackle, there'd be a quince tree. And so I saw this quince tree surviving and I'd see it in flower, I'd see it in fruit, and I just, I'd never seen one. And so it was just everywhere in the Barossa. Uh, just one tree usually, but it just captured me somehow. As you know, it's got the most beautiful mm. blossom. Mm. And the fruit, when you pick the fruit, like I've got it in the hallway there, um, the scent of mm. the quinces permeates the house. So mm. I fell in love with it. And so it just seemed the most natural thing. Ah, And the other thing is I always took, I always looked to the Mediterranean for ideas um, of how to use my produce because we are a Mediterranean climate and that's my propensity is to, to cook in that very um, uh, produce-driven way uh, and simply. And so I saw from, from Portugal and Spain the Membrio and that's quince and so, mm. yes, let's grow a quince orchard and, yes, let's put in an olive grove and let's – it was already vines and birds – um, uh, let's grow pomegranates. Mm. You know, it just happened. And Colin was always very good about it. <laughs> I know that this is the first um, pomegranate um, hedge I've seen yeah. and I've heard about it and, and, and I, we have some great um, uh, 
friends who are you know know their trees, and um, that's one of the things you know. Say in terms of around a vegetable garden or just as a as a border for something, they're just amazing. It was so beautiful because in this climate, in three years, that was hedge height, and of course, last night I picked the yeah. pomegranates because because we're going to Kangaroo Island in a few days, and I needed to have lots to crush with Campari. Good for you. We had one at uh, we, we visited um, Kleski Farm. Uh, the other day on yeah. Saturday, and um, Kim um, and Amy there to have a little tree, and they and it was enormous, and uh, we just broke it open, and it was the most beautiful pomegranate I've ever had, and it yeah. was just and I was picking the seeds out, and Angelica, my wife, who's sort of heart for tower, I know she's going, what are you doing that for? You didn't bloody eat them. So I want to grow a pomegranate out my bum. Um, so. With were there were there points uh, were there sort of moments along the way, Maggie, in the development of the farm and the sort of you know um, the the non planned sort of journey where there was a significant moment, a turning point that it was a sort of a, a yes or a no or a do or a die sort of yeah. thing that was, that happened that that you know changed the course of. Oh, absolutely, and yeah, there always is, isn't there? Mm. But um, for us, it was it's really marked in that. Um, we went from the farm shop to the pheasant farm restaurant, as I said, audaciously, Mm. but um, to everyone's surprise, everyone's amazement, in 1991, we won a gourmet traveller Remy Martin top restaurant in Australia. And all we were was a little country restaurant. I was just cooking everything to hand and... um, this um, Patricia Wells um, um, from France um, uh, chose us against all others. And what happened was all of a sudden what was a cult following turned out to be, you know, helicopters in the ram paddock, um, people vying for um, a, a table. And I went from being full, we, we went from being full on the weekends to full every moment we were open. Mm. And I'm obsessive and, and I was always at the stoves and I had great people around me. But Colin just got sick of people coming in and saying, when you get to meet Col and talk to him, you'll realise he has a very acerbic wit. And, and um, when people would say, I've been waiting all this time to come here, and he'd say, sit down, I'll look after you soon. <laughs> <laughs> and see, we didn't change. We were just a small country mm-hmm. restaurant. And then people's perception were, because we won this award, we would be glitz and glamour. And um, most of the customers were amazing, but there was always that percentage that was looking for the glitz and glamour, and mm. Colin just couldn't. And it was burning. You put him in their place. <laughs> and it was burning me out because I would not leave the stove. So he came mm. in one day and said, it's a restaurant or me. And I oh, said... good call. <laughs> And, and that was two years, nearly uh, two years in, and because it was just so intense, it was so um, well, just so unrelenting. And um, I didn't even hesitate; he was more important. Mm. And so I said, "But I want four months. Um, I want to. I want to close the day before our youngest daughter Ellie's eighteenth birthday, because she always wanted a proper mum." <laughs> <laughs> oh, and um, uh, so we 
in that four months, I gave no choice to anyone. If it was stuffed pig's ears, that's what they got. And um, it's like a, the nonna, you know, just like this is what's on the, this is what it is today. Yeah. You just have it, take it, leave it. But Cole always says on on the night before uh, the last service, we got it right. <laughs> oh, oh no! <laughs> but yeah, did we did Cole let you? Uh, did he let you back in the kitchen every now and again though? Uh well. Look, we had we had such a celebration party, and mm. then it took me a year to recover because yeah. I was I was so burnt out. Yeah, does he? Food is important to to me to us every day of my life. There was there's no day I don't want to cook unless Colin wants to cook for me. That's mm. that happens sometimes. Is he a good? Is Colin a good student of cooking? Mm. Does he listen? <laughs> <laughs> do you hover? Do you hover around yes. Colin when he's and, and do, when he picks up no, the wrong he wants, pan? He wants me to hover because he wants instruction as we go. Oh, okay, and then he says, "Leave it to me." So you know, because my my um, my wife is um, uh, say half Italian and she's a wonderful cook and um, very um, uh, intuitive, I guess, yeah. and yeah. and just. Just great in the kitchen, and so when I sort of wander in there, and I was a bachelor for a while yeah. too, so I could, you know, I could cook some eggs and that's sort of basic stuff. And I pick up the wrong pan, it's yeah. the sort of the tit tit, you know, the what are you doing? Oh no, I'm not sure if I'd be using that pan. And I'd last five minutes. I'm going, I'm out of here. I just, I'm just not, I'm not going to put up no. with this. Well, see, we we've had this great, um, uh, great rule in our house. Mm. I cook, he cleans. Yeah, and it's it's fantastic, um, uh, but. We often do it together. Well, we often well. He'll be in the kitchen as I cook, or I'm not always in the kitchen as he cleans. <laughs> You're sort of lounging around. Medically. <laughs> <laughs> Looking for more information to assist your regenerative journey? Come join Charlie and his guests around The Kitchen Table, an online community of supporters with exclusive access to the regenerative journey interview transcripts, live online Q&A sessions, a chance to engage with other like-minded people and more. Go to www.charliearnett.com.au forward slash The Kitchen Table and we look forward to sharing a yarn with you. Now let's get back to this week's episode. Maggie, um, you've been a mentor to so many people. Um, who were who some of the mentors in your life early? Oh, well, know, the recently? mentors in my life have all been women. Um, mm. uh, and um, starting, with, uh, starting with my Aunt Gladys, because I left school at 14 because my parents lost their business and and um, uh, I was offered a scholarship to stay on, but my parents didn't want it. But my auntie Glad was um, um, a, a headmistress, and so she kept my education going through books. Um, and I've been a reader all my life, but she just subliminally um, kept that going. And then um, in the American consulate, um, uh, when I in, in 1970, after we married, and I got that job, Erna Beckett was the consul. And she believed in me and put me through citizenship law. And she taught me how to assess how you can do better without it being criticism. Okay, cool. Which incredibly important. Um, and then, um, how, how, how do you, how do you do that? 
Well, is there some little tips you can give? Well, I guess my way. Um, it depends on the recipient, mm. <laughs> but <laughs> they're your husband, or <laughs> it depends on the recipient. But for instance, in the days of the pheasant farm, at mm. the end of each day, I, I would say, "What could we do better?" Um, and uh, but I would assess it every day because you know people use the term. Uh, continuous improvement now, and I was on it from the moment I ever started, just inherently. But I've never seen it as criticism, but mm. some people do, so mm. I have to be aware of that. But when you live in a culture of what can you do better, it's not ever criticism. Mm. And the next person, so that was a terribly valuable lesson. And then Doreen Langley, who was the um, uh, principal of the Women's College, she believed in me too and gave me great, great, um, great support. And she retired at seventy and then went and did criminology. You know, that kind of that kind of person that you know, life is about continually learning. Mm. And so, and then uh, I think Stephanie Alexander was always, if ever her knowledge, um, if ever I needed, if ever I needed to know some something particularly. Um, you know, Stephanie was. Um, I, I've learned a lot from her, mm. and particularly with her kitchen garden foundation, which has then incredible um, then given me almost a blueprint for what I do with aged care mm. uh, in in some a few tangible ways. Mm. Mm. I want to get to that, um, Maggie. Talking about sort of mentors, what were there any sort of little. Um, I guess life lessons or, or sort of phrases or quotes or sort of just significant um, gems, you know, that, that you – that are sort of the, the pillars of your – of what you do, you know, any sort of um, things that are, you know – Yeah, the pillars. If you were to write a book about Maggie Beer's <laughs> pillars of life. Okay, that um, you need you need to be dogged. If you have if you have something you really want to achieve, you need to have that. Um, I guess I'm very lucky that I was born with an optimism, um, and that came from my mother. And and so seeing seeing the glass half full, not half empty, being being absolutely committed, and don't stop at the first brick wall. The joy of finding a solution to go around or over that wall is is really something that gives you um, great um, uh, a great feeling of of, um, of surviving mm. <laughs> sometimes uh, or excelling other times. Um, having having being connected, you cannot do life alone, mm. uh, whether it's connected to an individual, um, a, a family or a community, and um, never stopping to learn, never stopping to learn, always <laughs> um, always just driving yourself through interest, not because you have to, so you have to find that thing that interests you and the other thing is have joy in your life about food and, and music and art and, and, and reading, have other things you love to do. Um, so, yeah, that's about it. Any, and Maggie, any, any sort of any paradigms that, that you sort of you know, grew up with or 
um, you were sort of were your original sort of pillars of behaviour or thinking that have that have that for whatever reason have been turned right around. You know, like your sort of attitude to things. You know, um, through your life. Oh, I think what I grew up with, um, the, the feeling of, all right, I grew up with um, this beautiful food life, mm. hardworking parents, lost their business, but yet that gave us, well, certainly gave me the grit to know I could do anything at a very young age, but always there was caring for other people was um, very much part of it. And it, it's <clears throat> not a life philosophy, but it's just a lived philosophy, And I guess. And my, my children, our children, um, have had exactly the same. Mm. Um, um, so I'm not sure that that's what you were asking. but No, it, that's, that's, that's important, though. Yeah. Um, but no, nothing has turned itself on its head. It's just been um, living and and always trying, not not trying, as well as working very hard. Mm. You have to have other things in life. Yeah, totally. Mm. So, because um, you're a pretty multi-talented kind of lady, <laughs> I'm not sure about that. I mean, you're more than just you know a cook, aren't you? Well, I love to write. Um, yeah, I love to write and. Uh, I had no idea I could write because, you know, having left school so early. Mm. Um, but um, the one thing I learned at school was how to type. And mm. So I still can type at about 100 words a minute. And I, when I'm thinking, I close my eyes and just sit and I just, just, it just rolls off and I don't even edit it. <laughs> Good for you. It's a bit like this. This is not getting edited. So if you say any rude words, <laughs> well, they're stay. It's, um, so, yes, um, writing and, and I love to share what I love about life and, and know about mm. cooking and how, how what reward it is for you personally um, but how simple it can be. So to demystify it for people so they feel comfortable um, having a go. No, I think that's actually it's a great point and that's what I was sort of reflecting on this morning is that you make it very, um, very approachable, very real, very. There's no, you don't sort of pump it up with mystery or intrigue or it's like you know anyone can can cook. Well, absolutely, and and because there's such joy from cooking mm. and eating well and having people around the table and then uh, going back a step, gardening, your vegetables to bring into the. You know, mm-hmm. to pick and then bring into the kitchen, um, and it's it is within everyone's grasp. But not everyone has been brought up that way. Mm. But COVID, in fact, has done a great, you know, for all the the trauma of COVID for so many people. The one thing it has done is brought them back to um, cooking as a family more because they were they were trapped, if you like, at home. Um, but also thinking Australian, mm. thinking local. We we have to hold on to that. Mm. It was a real catalyst, wasn't it? Mm. Um, talking about cooking, um, I um, only referenced this story the other day. Uh, um, a friend who had been working with some um, school, some some disadvantaged or um, uh, I guess special needs kids, had been working in a, in their in their facility and helped them grow food. 
<laughs> and they had some garden beds and they were growing food. Kids who had hadn't really didn't eat much food, and you know their their, their range of sort of diet was very narrow, um, and never sort of planted um, food and anything cared for at all. As part of this program, they did. They had video of the kids in the in the in the in the garden, the raised beds, mm-hmm. and then they had video of the kids in the kitchen cooking it yeah. and eating it, yeah. and they showed the video to the parents. And the parents go, no, that's actually that's not my kid. I can't. And these kids are eating broccoli, okay. And the whole connection of you know yeah. that responsibility yeah. and the privilege and the wonderful eating, the cook, uh, planting the food, it's that whole journey of life. But that's why, that's why Stephanie Alexander has been such a visionary. Mm, this this program is in over two thousand schools across Australia, but the the whole not everyone has the whole program because of funds, etc. but they start composting, they start mm. growing and cooking and sitting around the table and trying everything, and no one's allowed to say yuck. <laughs> Is that the rule? <laughs> well, that's my, that's my interpretation. Sorry, Don't say no, say oh. <laughs> so... Um, the uh, and that is you know that creates new normals, doesn't it? You know, kids go home and they go, why aren't we cooking, um, growing food? Why aren't we doing this and yeah. doing that? You know, and why aren't we going to the farmers market to get the fresh stuff? Exactly right. And and there's been so much that's you know been captured, not only anecdotally but from the, the point of qualitative research, if you like. This is what happens mm. in so many cases. The children inspire the. Parents. And there's plenty of um, science around. Mm-hmm. They've done it in prisons, in I know, in um, sort of nunneries, which are reasonably sort of closed mm-hmm. sort of situation, where you know, moving from a frozen food or a processed food diet to a uh, a fresh diet, it's yeah. been it's been you know the, the inmates are, are, are making, and then literally they yeah. think differently. Well, you know, there's lots of science, as you say, but there's lots of science about. Um, how good it is for your health, but there's now science coming out of things that we inherently knew that um, the the joy of food is part of the well being in your mm. brain. It actually it actually sort of turns on um, whatever it is neurons. Uh, so there's work that's being done um, out of um, English universities that are, are sort of proving that now. Mm. So if ever. If ever we we doubted it, mm. and I certainly didn't, and people who love food don't, but um, it should set up, talking about a new paradigm, mm. it should set up a new paradigm for life overall if only everyone had the chance to eat well. Another good reason to eat good food. Yeah. Um, I did an interview with um, uh, Cindy O'Meara, who's a sort of nutritionist and and she's just a fantastic um, advocate for, for, for clean, fresh, nutritious mm. food. And she uh, told a story about her friend who had um, moved to sort of had changes in her life and she went to some outback stations and to be the cook. And she got there, opened the cupboard, and there was, you know, Maggi noodles and a tin of baked Gravox. Yeah, Gravox, yeah, all that stuff, you know, processed everything. And she said... Um, to, and she sort of um, she sort of took note of the mental state of everyone in the yeah. camp, you know. Anyway, she said to the boss, "Look, you need to build me a veggie garden," yeah. and he did. And over the course of the next few months, with the fresh food and her cooking in the kitchen and her just a general attitude, um, the boss one day turned around and said, "I can't believe what's happened here," because all the men, all the ringers, yeah. were just um, you know 
not drinking as much, much more effective in their work, much happier. And, he, and the boss himself was, and was like, what, what a change there. Yeah. Food. Food. Yeah. You don't have to tell me. No, I just think it's, fa- I think it's fascinating it, you know, to support that sort of a thing. And the stories that you can tell about that. Mm. People hang on to stories and it's real and um, not just some um, notion. Mm. Uh, it's great to share those. We need a Stephanie Alexander um, Outback Station program. Yes, same, yes. Same sort of thing. Yeah. Now let's get to your program, um, uh, Maggie, your foundation, and you're, yeah. you're doing some wonderful things in, um, in the sort of the, um, in the elderly, elderly um, uh, oh. world of elderly people. Older Australia. Older Australia. <laughs> Older Australia. <laughs> I'll help you out. People in the prime of their lives. Yeah. <laughs> um, tell me about that because I think it's fascinating. Well, um, I have in, in 2014 I established a foundation uh, to change the food in aged care mm. uh, because it is um, when food is so important to me, I have a responsibility now, having seen um, that in aged care there are some really good people and, and there are a lot of people working incredibly hard and caring a lot, but there is a huge proportion of food that is institutionalised and um, we we can't accept that, and we can't accept many of the budgets that um, are given to have three meals a day in morning and afternoon tea. They are so um, they are so um, uh, so small that they cannot do what needs to be done. But more than that, um, there is no um, there is no training for this really complex arena that's specific to aged care. And my friend Simon Bryant, who I did cook in the chef yes, with for yeah, so many years, he, he said the first time we um, uh, put the foundation again, his words were, being a cook or chef in an aged care home is far more complex than any cook in a restaurant, mm. um, you know, except for perhaps, you know, your, your top level. Um, uh, that, that, that is a different thing. But... So we ha- I'm looking for cultural change, I'm looking for budget, I'm looking, but more than anything, the sharing of knowledge and skill and raising, raising the bar of, of how the cook or chef has got to have this knowledge and skill so then they are respected as the person that can do the very most for the resident that they are looking after mm. more than anything else. But it has to be a collaborative journey with the health professionals um, and and the um, and the management and it it, um, it it is just out we must do it we cannot leave people in aged care with nothing to look forward to because of those that are in homes where it is institutionalized and when there are there can be budgets as low as six dollars a day for three meals and morning and afternoon tea so of course the cook or chef has got no option but to use frozen veg and and packet boosters for their chicken soup and and that is just unacceptable yeah and at at a time of their lives where um they are probably as, as needy as any other time for good nutrition, just for just for cognitive function and just for being oh, healthy. You know? That is that is such a uh, an important point. As we age, we need a different kind mm. of diet. We need protein. Well, everyone needs protein, and all through the day, not just at one meal. Most importantly, for those in aged care, 
a need, you know, four servings of dairy, um, whereas other ages sort of are eschewing the need for dairy, um, wrongly in my opinion. But, <laughs> but there is a real nutritional need that is different for the older Australian. That's not known. Mm. Um, and without good nu- – well, firstly, there has to be, for me, equal measures of nutrition and pleasure. Without pleasure, what is there? And without the nutrition, so their bodies don't lose muscle mass, so they're, they're not physical. Um, so how can, if they're not physical because their food isn't good enough, how can they be involved in life, like be out in the garden, um, connection, all those things? Food can change all of that. That was a. Um, I saw a show not that long ago, and it was a. Uh, I was imagining on the ABC, and they were, they brought four year olds. Oh yes, it's it beautiful. That was it's just, running again. Oh, it's the amazing. second series, and it just shows intergenerational connectedness. Mm. Be- people think, um, well, there, there is a propensity to put older people out of mind, and that is not. That's another thing that's not acceptable, but that beautiful show on the ABC where you have these four-year-olds relating to the older and what it does for each other. So, I mean, the perfect scenario. Montessori have got a pretty good scenario there. The Montessori method where they bring all generations together, um, the, the having focus, having things to do, allowing everything you do for me, you take away from me, Right. And so if you um, uh, just presume because someone's in aged care, they need everything done for them, well, that's wrong. Mm. Um, but they also have to have the impetus that comes from food to be involved. That's right. And pleasure mm-hmm. is a good thing. I'll tell you, at all, at all ages and, and, you know, the – I, don't, I just get goosebumps thinking about that show. And there was also another, um, another. I'm not sure it was a show or a program in in, um, in somewhere in Scandinavia, and they were university students were being billeted with yes el- elderly. Oh, the, what was it? Was your was it not elderly people? Your, the older Australians. Older Australians. Older yes. older peoples. Um, and that was wonderful for both as well. Well, yes, I and there are some little uh, openings of that happening in Sydney where uh, yeah, but cool. the the concept there is the student gets free accommodation and board for giving energy and companionship to the person in the house to keep people in their own home. Mm. It's a wonderful concept and in fact you know this this drive, <laughs> this drive for food being the medium for change mm. has to come out into the community too because so many older Australians stay in their own home because that's their 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 want and I understand that entirely and the government wants that too mm. but without the support without a connectedness loneliness and depression and yes that, things that we right. must. Trying to rile against, yeah, mitigate against. Because mm. for me, it's about perspective, isn't it? Like the kids get a, you know, the the, the children give the older Australians, the older you know, generation, a different perspective on life, don't they? Well, they do. They give them this energy and this this, you know, <laughs> the, the children's um, uh, acceptance of everything, right? <laughs> and their innocence, and they're and, just like. Absolutely. The stuff they say, is just but it also gives the children a respect for the. Older, oh, totally. 
And, um, oh, it's, it's beautiful. <laughs> Maggie, um, just changing the course a little, you, is there anything you're irate about at the moment? Anything that – you don't seem like a very irate kind of person. I wouldn't want to get on your bad side, but is there anything <laughs> that you that – you, um, you know, that's getting on your goat at the moment. Oh, look, there's, there's, if, if you, um, if I had, if I had more time in life, there'd be a lot more I'd be involved with. You've got plenty of time. Stop it. (laughs) I want to hear it. But, um, uh, the, the whole concept of mental health and, and the, in, in regional areas, Mm. the, the lack of support, uh, the inequity of how people with mental health are often treated and and the fact that we don't talk about depression and suicide um, uh, because uh, there is there is no doubt i I'm involved with Pat McGorry, who was Australian of the year when I was senior Australian and as as um, and so I understand a lot of that work um, and I don't know any family that doesn't have someone that they love within the family or within their their inner circle that struggles at some time in life with mental health. So that's one of my big bugbears and that leads to homelessness. Um, And, of course, um, um, uh, women in violent relationships. I mean, these are things, all these things. Now, this is going to sound really naive, but so many of these things can be fixed by food, totally. and mental health being one of them. Totally. Um, violence, you know, independence uh, somehow. Um, yeah, all of those things, they're just part of our life that we can't accept. Well, I mean, I mean I guess this is what I'm fascinated about when I interview um, my guests on the show, and it's called The Regenerative Journey, and, and it sort of started as a regenerative agriculture type of focus. But as I've my journey in this process is... Um, I mean, what do farmers do? They grow food, you know. It's kind of like when I started, you know, I'll go, you know, hey, put your hand up if you eat food. Like, yeah, it's kind of important, you know. Yeah. And and everything comes back to food, and and how it's produced. Because if it's if it's produced poorly, it's crap food. It's yeah. not going to be nutritious. If it's produced well, then it's a fair chance that well, the food's going to be good, but the the environment in which that food has been produced has been enhanced as well. Oh. It's kind of an important thing, you know, and, and it is It's what we put into our bodies. And as we've just said, you know, it is what is the catalyst for, you know, cognitive function, good or bad, or, you know, um, high or low, um, you know, vibrations, literally, and, and, and the higher thinking or the, or the lower thinking. So it's kind of, thank you for being such an such a advocate <laughs> of good food. Well, and, and no, the lack of preservatives and mm. having grown up never using preservatives, never sever, serving them for using preservatives or, or processed food with our family and then mm. having a business um, created on the basis of um, uh, no, no preservatives except for the sulphur in wine. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but everything, everything about as natural as um as it can be and and it's it's what has always driven me just back to the the, the farm when you started here was anyone else doing that when you arrived uh, the, what the pheasant farming yeah. there well, was well the, the, just, just, just having a farm shop and having people turn up to your farm no and they, no <laughs> and the the crazy thing is it was it was successful in terms of numbers 
um, from day one, and yet we're on a back road on a back road, and of course, um, and Samuel Road that comes off Sepplesfield Road wasn't wasn't um, uh, tarred, mm. uh, wasn't sealed, and you'd see all these fancy cars in this little old farm sh- outside this little old farm shop. So um, uh, yes, um, you're a real pioneer then. Well, it, we were part of. All over Australia, there were people here and there doing, doing, starting to do great things. Mm. Um, and uh, yes, the seventies were a, a really um, different time. Mm. So people sort of fell upon us uh, because the food was good, simple but good. There you go. The food was good. Um, talking about other things that are good, what, any, is there anything that you are excited, really excited <coughs> about, you're probably pumped about at the moment? Yes. And, well, what I am is pumped about <laughs> is music and, and, and the opera and the arts and South Australia and Tasting Australia mm. and the fact that, you know, we have so many. I so believe in South Australia. And we're small, and um, uh, as a city, you can walk around from place to place. And whether it's the Fringe Festival, the Adelaide Festival, the the um, uh, the Guitar Festival, the Cabaret Festival, we have such. Mm. And now, you know, post COVID, having music again at at um, Eucaria in in the hills, um, there is just so much that happens. In South Australia, about music, mm. and um, and I love everything to do with music, music and voice and opera, and um, and it's all alive again. It is, and we're coming out of COVID, and as you say, we've learnt a lot. I think I trust that people have, because if we haven't, then that's a real waste of an opportunity mm. to be cooking our own food and growing our own food. And you can't buy caravans at the moment. You can't <laughs> buy horse floats. I know because I'm trying to get one because um, everyone's staying local and they're getting yeah. back. To back to their roots, and they're being more, particularly in the cities, they're being more cognizant of their neighbours that they've only mm. ever nodded to before. And friends of ours that live in the city say, "I'm now cooking for my neighbour across the road because I realise they're on their own mm. and um, uh, probably as old as me." <laughs> oh, stop it! <laughs> so you know that that caring for others, let it never diminish. No, let's, mm. let's not have any normality in terms of travel and COVID stuff, um, mm. you know, stop that from being the, the new normal. Um, Maggie, I'm conscious of the time. You have to go to something else. One last question. If you could have a billboard um, erected on the side of a busy highway somewhere um, that lots of people could read, what would you, what would you nominate? You could have rude words, you could have a quote, you could have a question, you could have anything you want. No, no pictures, no, just words. No, oh, not just words. It would have to be um, garden, cook and share your table with your family and be connected to the people around you. Yeah. We can make it that big. It's fine. <laughs> <laughs> and enjoy life. Yeah. Well, yes. you certainly have enjoyed life, yeah. Uh, yeah. Maggie, and I'm, I'm eternally grateful that you've given me your time today. I know you have to rush off. I will be seeing you a bit later on today yeah. at Alkina Wine Estate, and um, you're a guest, and I'm going to be sitting on a stool at the end of the table talking 
about I don't even know yet. Amelia, what am I talking about? <laughs> but I've had a, such a lovely time there in the last few days um, doing our two-day biodynamic workshop and they've been a most amazing host. Very just, you know, again, another wonderful example of, um, of the hospitality that, that I and I think everyone really experiences when they come yeah. to the Barossa. I thank my lucky stars that um, the Barossa has given me so much coming and living here and being part of the Barossa. Mm. Um, just um, I, I have to pinch myself. Everything has come from that. Well, I'm, I'm pinching myself still just sitting here next to you, Maggie, So, um, and I'll be doing that again this after, uh, in a couple of hours. You must get to your next appointment, yes. and I need, to re- I need to rearrange your music room because I've trashed it. <laughs> Maggie, thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Thank you, Charlie. Next week on The Regenerative Journey, uh, I'll be speaking with Tammy Jonas of Joni Farm down there in Victoria. Um, she's fantastic. Uh, so many good yarns about her regenerative journey, uh, her involvement with her farm her, and, and the food culture down there. There's just too many things to even name, but you will be kicking yourself if you miss next week's amazing episode with Tammy Jonas on The Regenerative Journey. This podcast is produced by Rhys Jones at Jaeger Media. If you enjoyed this episode, please feel free to subscribe, share, rate and review. For more episode information, please head over to www.charliearnett.com.au.